Welcome to Evolve, Reinventing Leadership, Building Freedom Cultures, with thought leader and award-winning author, Yvette Bethel. This podcast provides you with insights and ideas you can use to reinvent your culture through trust and the principles of interconnectivity, flow, and balance. At a time when the world is rewriting the rules of work, traditional leadership practices are not enough. It's time to perceive persistent challenges through a new lens. It's time to evolve. Hello, everyone, and welcome once again. This is your host, Yvette Bethel, and the topic for this episode of Evolve is how to grow your business on purpose with business owner, podcaster, and author, Claire Chandler. As president and founder of Talent Boost, Claire Chandler specializes in leadership and business value creation. She taps into nearly 30 years of experience in people leadership, human resources, and business ownership to help organizations achieve strategic alignment, cultural integration, and sustainable success. Claire helps executive leaders, business owners, and investors identify exact moves required to grow on purpose, to make an impact, to achieve their mission, and to attract the right people in ways they can replicate and scale. So hello, Claire, and welcome to Evolve. Hi, Yvette. (laughs) Thank you for having me. It's so great to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you. Now, Claire, I love your website, and Talent Boost is is the name of it. And uh, to begin with, I'd like to learn or invite you to share a bit more about your journey within your business and how you got involved in um, in talking about what you talk about and, and what ignites your passion. What are you passionate about? So there you oh, go. there's so much to unpack in that great question. So uh, a little, little bit of background on me. I am a self-professed uh, corporate survivor. Uh, I'm also a cancer survivor, but I always lead with corporate survivor. I think uh, mm-hmm. so many people can relate to that to that experience. Uh, and if you talk to entrepreneurs, often like I do and like you and I are, um, most of us had some sort of transformational experience that propelled us onto our entrepreneurial journey. And I was no different. Uh, back in 2011, I was in corporate, I was on an executive track. I was uh, vice president of human resources for a large global organization, traveling all the time, going 150 miles an hour, uh, just trying to keep up with the pace of work and change and employee demand. And one day I was walking back to my office and my boss stopped me in the hall. And he said, you need to tone down your walk. Interesting. And I said, um, what? And he said, your, your walk, it's so bouncy. It's, it, it, it's so happy. And, you know, people are going to wonder if, if you're up to something, if you know something that they don't. So, you know, just, just from my experience, it's just a little helpful advice. You should tone down your walk back to my office and, you know, fast forward, I, I did nothing to alter my walk. I'm a person who, you know, just my entire life, people have remarked on the way that I, the way that I walk and I tend to walk with a bounce to my step. And when that happened, I did not recognize the moment for what it was, but in hindsight, less than a year later, I got a cancer diagnosis. Uh, I'm cancer free now, but that was the catalyst for me 
to leave corporate to say, I can't wait for all the stars to align. I want to start my journey now. Um, but when I looked back at that, that moment, when I was told by a corporate executive to, to damp down my personality, it was so emblematic to me of what is wrong with most corporate cultures. Um, and so that in hindsight really kind of influenced my journey. And then obviously the, the cancer experience propelled it, but it's part of all of those things, my corporate experience, my cancer story, um, you know, all, all of all of the uh, the people that I have crossed paths with um, mm. really kind of informed and defined what my entrepreneurial focus would be. And so fast forward to today, I specialize in helping corporate cultures grow on purpose, as you mentioned in your in your lead in really grow with intention. Entrepreneurial spirit that most companies advertise for and then waste. Um, but truly harness the unique talents and abilities and passions um, of their employees, their human capital, their real assets toward building companies that can be sustained and that can grow and that can attract the right people. You talk about growing on purpose and, and uh, you just said it's about being intentional among other things. But uh, can you share with us, there are a lot of mission-driven organizations out there. What's the difference between a purpose-driven and a mission-driven, or do you see them as similar? I see them as very similar. Uh, I, I have always been strongly aligned to a sense of mission. I'm uh, My husband is a veteran of the United States Marine Corps, and mm -hmm. it's one of the things that we bonded over very, very quickly. He is obviously as a as a Marine, um, very mission driven. Um, I see mission and purpose very similar, not necessarily the same. Uh, I have I have come to learn and, and sort of in my working with clients and working with uh, purpose driven leaders, that purpose almost connotes a higher calling, one that is more aspirational, whereas a mission uh, tends to be a little bit, I would say a little bit um, more finite, right? Where purpose is very aspirational. I think mission is very hard charging, but purpose can lift up the people that are contributing to it. Um, you know, but, but by and large, I find them to be quite similar. And you find that, uh, organizations are typically where are they anywhere on that spectrum or are they focused on, on just goals and performance? <laughs> well, so <laughs> I, I think the tide is changing. So I think the short answer to that question is the tide is changing. I think more and more organizations are appreciating, um, especially through the through the thought leadership of Simon Sinek, as an example, who has done a lot of work around the concept of starting with why. I think more and more organizations are leaning into the fact that if they cannot give their um, their people, their employees, their talent, their stakeholders a reason to believe. Mm -hmm. They are going to lose market share. They are going to lose growth opportunity. They are going to lose competitive edge. Um, and so I do think that that is um, more on the forefront of organizations. And they are starting to understand that they can't just set hard financial targets and hope to rally people around the pursuit of those targets. They have to rally them around the pursuit of something bigger. You, you, um, you talk about scaling. 
the business and while the business is on purpose. Uh, what are some of the things that you focus on? Um, because scaling in and of itself is complex and keeping them on purpose uh, adds another layer of complexity. Uh, so my question is, how do you do it all? How do you pull it all off? <laughs> yeah, uh, scaling is is one of the big challenges, right? I know for me as an entrepreneur, scaling is uh, a, a constant challenge. It is something that um, I think companies must get good at, whether you're a solopreneur or a massive organization. And it's something that you can't just focus on once and think it's going to you know, automatically kind of uh, nurture itself. Um, for me, when I work with organizations, part of the way that I can help them achieve sustainable success, um, so there's a difference between growth and scaling, right? Growth is you can have growth spurts. You can have, of course, those come with growing pains. Um, scaling, of course, uh, really suggests a more disciplined, um, on-purpose and I use that term obviously intentionally, um, you know, sort of a holistic approach to how you grow, where you grow, and why you're growing in the first place. Um, so scaling very much focuses on and centers on systems and standards and processes where you can replicate what works and engineer out those processes, those, um, those pursuits, those objectives that don't serve you. And again, it kind of all comes back to why it's so important to be really, really clear about your purpose, right? Because that helps to focus your decisions on what stays within, you know, what's going to keep you on course, um, what is uh, relevant to that pursuit of purpose and what is not. Mm -hmm. You mentioned that scaling centers on systems. Uh, so we also have growth and uh, expansion is something else, you know, that that happens. What is what is the difference between the the two others and uh, scaling? Because scaling is systems, you said. Yeah, yeah. So well, what are the other and, two? About? Right, because systems kind of help support that, right? Um, expansion. So it's interesting. Growth and expansion to me are very different. Um, growth can be you know, one-off, it can be adding a new client or a new project, it can be adding, uh, you know, one or several employees. Expansion tends to be um, uh, sort of, I'll say, growth at scale, right? A lot of organizations, especially ones that I work with and that I serve, um, are growing more intentionally through mergers or acquisitions. That's correct. And, right? And to me, that that is more in the direction of expansion. They're understanding that the best way for them to grow um, and to amplify the outcomes they're trying to achieve and the impact they're trying to make on the world, they have to think in, in, in grander terms. And so a lot of organizations are looking at M&A as the best path toward that. And of mm -hmm. course, you're already nodding your head. You, you probably know the failure rate of mergers and acquisitions mm -hmm. is shockingly high. Um, and failure is that there's a wide spectrum, right? It doesn't mean that the business is going to close its doors because of one merger or one acquisition, but failure is very much a measure of, did we meet the growth objectives that we set out for? Did we achieve the multipliers that we said that we would when we went after combining these two entities? Um, and I think a lot of, a lot of companies that try to grow through M&A without dialing in that purpose and that intention behind that type of expansion are part of the reason that that failure rate is so high. Mm -hmm. 
also I find uh, they pay a lot of attention to the financial and operational integration, but not necessarily the cultural integration. Can you say a bit more about that? I love that you went there. I'm not surprised that you <laughs> went there. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think that is the biggest landmine that most organizations trip over. Unfortunately, it, you know, they they focus on the financial picture, which I'm not suggesting they ignore, but they don't fully factor in or even um, respect the huge impact that lack of cultural integration, lack of cultural alignment will play in in them actually achieving their growth strategy. Um, it is the reason that I focus on helping organizations um, achieve that alignment between the culture that they have, the culture that they're bringing into the mix, and then where they're trying to get to from a more strategic perspective. You know, the, the value of a business, and if you Google, you know, how do you calculate a business's value, you'll get dozens, if not hundreds of different formulas. But one of the simplest ones is profit times some multiplier, right? Mm -hmm. What goes into that multiplier, to your point, it's not the financial assets, it's the intangible ones. Mm -hmm. it's, the, it's the human capital, it's the intellectual property, it's the institutional knowledge, it's the strength of your brand, it's the reputation you already have in the market. And if you talk to any of the financial wizards in the room, they will agree with you that that part is very much, very much plays a, a, a big role in business value. And I think why they shy away from the conversation is because they think it's too much of a wild card. Mm -hmm. It's not something we can measure. Let's focus on the tangible assets. Well, the reality is that the, the value of a business is far more driven by those intangible, those intellectual assets than those fixed or financial ones. So we have to pay attention to that if we're going to succeed. I'm curious uh, about, you know, some of the cultural misalignments that you come across. Which ones are more frequently <laughs> overlooked? Honestly, the biggest one that is underestimated is the one that feels like a no-brainer and yet, you know, people kind of ignore it. It's the resistance to change. <laughs> right. And it's it's so <clears throat> I don't want to say it's funny. It's actually tragic. Right. Because the, the resistance to change, which is, first of all, a, a human reflex. Right. We all resist the unknown, even if our current reality is not one that we're happy with, because, you know, there's there's that saying, right, the devil, you know, is better than the devil. You don't change resistance has been by far to me the biggest obstacle, the biggest pain point, the biggest hurdle um, that executives in organizations that are trying to grow through M&A are facing. And because they don't pay attention to it up front, because they're over-indexing on the financial, the hard assets, the fixed assets, they're kind of behind the curve when it comes time after they've closed a deal or they've, you know, expanded into a new market. And now they're, you know, and I, so I talk to investors a lot too, private equity market, they're so guilty of this, right? They, they, they sort of talk to me, you know, and I have conversations and they say, we had this brilliant growth strategy. And, you know, the, the first thing we wanted to do was, was change over the payroll system. And, mm -hmm. and these employees are losing their minds because we changed the payroll system. What are they going to do when we change something really substantial? And I always have to stop them and say, okay, first of all, people are very attached to not the payroll system, but the paycheck it produces. And if that's the very first thing that you touch, that you change, that you potentially mess up, 
it it blows up their world. Exactly. Wouldn't you be better served? And I get it. You know, again, systems mm. are the key to scaling. I said it myself. But if that's the first touch point you have with a new culture or a new group of employees, and you're changing their payroll, which they take quite personally, rather than spending time getting the cultural alignment right, getting people bought into the value of that merger or that acquisition and why they should come along for the journey because it's going to be an exceptional one. Wouldn't we be better served if, if the human assets, the human capital, the, the intellectual capacity of an, of an organization is really what drives growth and success? Mm -hmm. Wouldn't you be better served spending time on that up front and not so much messing around with payroll? And it blows my mind because it's the first place they go every time, right? <laughs> my work is about trust, and that's the fastest way to <laughs> discuss. Oh my gosh, it. <laughs> you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right, and especially, you know, why? Because when they change something as fundamental mm -hmm. as the means by which people are compensated, that's right, and they don't explain why. Right. For such a little word, it has such a big impact. And I have I had a conversation earlier today and I seem to have them daily now where leaders underestimate the 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 absolute thirst their people have for understanding the why. Why did we acquire this company? Why did we move into this new market? Why did the, the leaders at the top change the strategic direction of where we're trying to get to? Why did they implement this system over that? Why did they, you know, reverse course on something? Every time you don't take those extra few seconds to explain the why, you lose the engagement of your people. Yeah, and and with that, explain the why. Uh, you know, explain it. Is this is your host Yvette Bethel, and we'll be right back after this message. Organizational Soul is a mission-driven organization and network where we specialize in trust in academia, families, and organizations. We are building a community of leaders who are interested in trust and culture. If you are interested in our updates, you can sign up for our newsletter at orgsoul.com. As a thank you for joining our community, you can access our free resources that are designed to help you build your brand as a trusted leader as you contribute to safe space. Sign up now at orgsoul.com. And welcome back to Evolve. Our guest is author, podcaster, and business owner, Claire Chandler. Welcome back, Claire, Thanks to Evolve. And I want to continue this conversation about uh, expansion, acquisitions, um, integration, and um, we talked about what happens initially. Now I want to ask a question about, okay, you've integrated uh, two cultures and uh, after an acquisition. And what should the leaders keep in mind? You know, because they're going to find out at some point there'll be some incompatibilities uh, that they didn't consider if, if they didn't. And uh, what should they keep in mind as they move through that process? Yeah, it, 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 it's interesting because in, incompatibilities are fairly inevitable. Um, I, you know, I've seen in, in mergers, in combinations of entities, even within the same industry, and even on paper, looking like they are complementary, um, being vastly different because of the cultural element. Mm 
right? Um, they can have very similar balance sheets. They can be going after similar markets. They could have been competitors in the same space, but I have seen over and over again, when you merge two entities, I don't care how similar or compatible they might look from the outside, they grew up differently. They grew up differently, right? And so you have to be very mindful of um, those cultures. And, you know, and as we said before the break, um, really acknowledge the impact, positive and negative, that cultural alignment or misalignment can have on the strength and the health and the, and the survival, uh, uh, survivability of your business. So it is important to, to get that right. Um, you know, to, to me, one of the things that I work on with, with my clients, especially those going through a, through a merger, but quite honestly, any company, even if that is not the way that they are growing and expanding, it is really important, especially in the, in the candidate market we have right now where unemployment is relatively low and a lot of employers are fighting for, you know, we're, we're at that war for talent that we predicted was going to happen 20 years ago. We're here. Mm -hmm. And people, I think now candidates, employees have opportunities and choices that they didn't have even five years ago. Um, and I think companies have to be mindful of that and be respectful of that and be ever more intentional about building cultures that attract the right people, that retain the right people, and that then mobilize them in the right way. So when I work with organizations, whether they're growing and expanding through mergers or whether they are just trying to grow steadily, um, organically, mm -hmm. one of the things that we talk about is, you know, they 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 sort of overcomplicate this piece of it. And what I mean is, you know, they say, we, we, we want to grow, we want to have more of the right people and fewer of the wrong ones, because of course the wrong performers or bad behavior sort of, uh, you know, uh, distract us from the building and the growing and serving our clients and customers and, and all of that. And so one of the things that we do is we measure the DNA of the talent that they have, what I call their A players, mm -hmm. right? Because these are the people that if you ask business leaders, you know, and and you say, you know, how are you going to attract more of the right people? And they scratch their heads and they they flat out don't know. And I say, okay, within your existing organization, do you know who your best performers are? If I define for you an A player, right? One who is um, who is up to the challenge, who is fully engaged, who has sort of this, this intangible value, right? Could you name for me just 10? And invariably they can right off the top of their heads. Well, you know, it's this person, it's that, you know, that person across the business. Well, great. Well, let's measure what that DNA is. And then let's go find more people like that. And they don't look all the same. It's really important to understand that we're not looking to, you know, just, just fill your company with a lot of people who look the same and talk the same and believe the same, but that have the same intrinsic DNA that drives them that aligns with the business so that now you can go out and find more of those people. And within your organization, you can train up, you can develop, you can coach and mentor more of the other people who have at least the potential to become A players. And so that is really, really important to do that in any organization. When you're talking about an organization that is expanding through M&A, it's important to look across both organizations. And that mm -hmm. is one of the best ways to blend the best of both cultures. 
because mm-hmm. it's it's too often that we bring these two entities together and we hope that the two cultures are going to mesh and it's going to be harmony from day one. And as you already said, inevitably there's there's incompatibility and the longer you ignore it, the wider the, the fissures become. Mm-hmm. So let's identify who the A players are across both of those entities and measure what that looks like. And that way we can we can bring up the best of both of those cultures. That's going to show us where the where the strongest connective tissue is that we want to pull together. That's some of the way that right up front you start to ward off and at least address that potential incompatibility. Can you share with our audience uh, a bit about when you say DNA of the A the A players? Yeah. What what is what is it exactly that they're looking for? Or would it, you know, can you tell us what you found and and how that DNA came together so that you yeah. can use it? Absolutely. So the the way that I um, do that type of mapping or um, blueprinting, really, um, as part of my work, I have um, some assessment tools. And mm-hmm. so part of, of what that enables me to do is quantify what are the natural abilities, what is sort of a natural um, what are the natural attributes? What are the things that come naturally to this subset of your organization that you have identified as your your A players, right? And it's not just people who um, always get a five out of five on their performance review. And it's not just the ones who bring in, you know, the 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 sales and the revenue. A lot of them are not, you know, client facing or, or revenue facing, although <laughs> there's an argument that you want to put your A players into the the biggest revenue uh, impacting, um, roles, but part of what I assess and what I help my clients to assess is what, what are those, what are those attributes that come so naturally to them that if you set them up or you stand them up next to underperforming employees, there's a clear difference in what they have and what they demonstrate, um, what drives them, what motivates them, how they tend to show up. And then there are other things like, What's their track record within the organization? So if you do engagement surveys, who are the who are the people who tend to have stronger engagement in their teams? Who are the people who tend to have lower turnover? Who are the people with a reputation for being talent developers who have people within their teams who stayed within the organization but moved out of their team into different roles? So it's all of these different variables that you can pull together and sort of see at a, at a glance this is the playbook. This is the blueprint for your unique organization. Mm. I really like that. A lot of organizations, they will um, identify leadership competencies that they want their leaders to uh, exemplify. But what you're saying is look at who you have and, and those people who make you who you are. And then those A players, um, use uh, or tap into their strengths and build the organization around that, um, those strengths. That's exactly right. Well, and and, uh, listen, I'm a big fan of leadership competencies. I think that's Mm -hmm. a great place to start if you're starting from nothing Mm -hmm. is to at least have a set of standards of, of, you know, behavior and skill um, that you can all agree on. But, But to the, to the observation you just made, which is, which is spot on, which would you rather have? Would you rather have a, a competency model that is based on 
um, academics and white papers and a lot of research, which is all well founded in science, but doesn't necessarily apply to your unique situation. Or would you rather build a blueprint based on who you already know uh, is the type of talent you want to, as you just expressed it so beautifully, that you want to build your organization around. Mm -hmm. So when you map that, you can say, okay, let's go build or buy or find more of this because now mm -hmm. we know what we're looking for. And while we're doing that, let's develop who we already have, whoever has the capacity and the potential to, to move at least toward that A player level. And let's really tap into that pool of A players mm -hmm. and let's, let's free them up to help us solve our biggest problems. Mm -hmm. If you put yeah. all those things in motion in, a, in, an, in an intentional way, not a chaotic way, but in an intentional way, you build a talent pipeline that nourishes itself. Yes, that's correct. That's right. Oh, you're spot on. I'll add another complexity to the questioning then, <laughs> another level. Um, you talk about performance acceleration. And um, so in the context of mergers, acquisitions, expansion, those kinds of things, um, you know, there, there will be things that slow down that, that process. Uh, so is acceleration what, uh, in that context, is that what uh, leaders should focus on? Or is there something else that they should be focusing on during the expansive or growth uh, process? So you're going to love this. Acceleration is key. But what they need to focus on first is accelerating trust. Ah. <laughs> I told you you're going to love that, right? And, Hold and, on. And, well, right. And so, so, so here's where leaders kind of screw this up, right? Because they say, and I, and I'm, I am called in by organizations all the time that say, um, we, we've gotten through the worst of the post-merger headaches. And now we really need to make up ground, right? And they start to talk faster and faster. Can you come in and facilitate for us a strategic planning workshop? Mm -hmm. Because they already feel like the, you know, the post-merger integration took much longer than we thought it would. We are already behind, you know, schedule in terms of our growth plan and our value creation and all of that. We really need to get all the leaders in the room of these combined entities and start working on a strategic plan. And every time they call me to invite me to do that, I say, I'm happy to do that as day two. Yes. But day one, we have to work on the dynamics of your team. And I don't know about you, but I, but I sense you are the same way. I don't do fluffy team building activities. You have to work on, you know, I said connective tissue before. You have to work on connecting the leadership team, especially at the highest level you can. Mm -hmm. as humans first and help them to understand what they have in common to build from mm -hmm. rather than just put them into a room and expect that they are going to know how to collaborate, how to negotiate, how to compromise in building a strategic plan that does not immediately devolve into silos. That's it. So acceleration is key, but accelerating trust, if you skip over that step, your strategic plan is doomed to, if not fail, at least underperform. You know, I, I, I'm sold on trust uh, for many reasons. 
And I find that it's the most overlooked and undervalued um, process. And I think one of the reasons is uh, it's difficult. It's hard to face truth and, and certain things. And so um, in your experience, you know, how do you get the buy-in <laughs> into trust? Because it's, yeah. it's not an easy road. It's not, it's not easy. And I realize that when I ask the executive leaders who invite me to come in and, and work on strategic planning to participate in every minute of the team, the, the team dynamics portion of that two day event, um, I realize I'm asking for a lot. I'm asking mm -hmm. for a lot from, from a couple of reasons. I'm asking for them to invest twice as much time as they had planned for number one, mm -hmm. number two, executives don't have an easy job. And I know some of your audience is going to hear that and go, oh, but that's why they're paid the big bucks. And that's why they get the cushy salaries. Mm -hmm. With all of that comes high profile, a lot of risk, big target on their back, a lot of pressure. That's right. Right. And the, and the C-level executives, they don't stay in their role for 30 years anymore. At most, they're there for three or four. And if they haven't made a measurable um, progression along a strategy for the shareholders, whether that's a board, whether that's investors, et cetera, within the first 18 months, they're gone. Mm -hmm. So of course they come to me speaking very fast and saying, we have to accelerate progress on the strategic plan. The other reason it's hard for executives is because to your question, the way that we accelerate trust is by not just inviting, but enabling everyone in that room to demonstrate vulnerability. So I'm a big fan of Simon Sinek. I've already referenced him, but Brene Brown, mm -hmm. who is brilliant in this space around vulnerability, um, the, the value, the importance, the, 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 the business criticality of leadership demonstrating their humanness first is the only way that you're going to build trust because you can't manufacture it. Mm -hmm. You can be a charismatic speaker. You can be someone that people show up to listen to. But if you are not demonstrably and authentically human first, people are only going to pay lip service to that and they're not actually going to follow you. I don't care how ambitious or aspirational your mission is. If the leaders at the top are not trustworthy, if they are not human first, if they don't demonstrate vulnerability, their people are not going to follow them along the journey. That's true. That's true. I could listen to you uh, <laughs> for a very long time because I, you know, a lot of your beliefs are similar to mine. And uh, but as a final question, I'd like to ask you if there's one thing you would like to leave with the audience today, our audience. Um, what would that be? What do you want them to remember? I, uh, I've been doing a lot of reflecting lately because as an entrepreneur, I spend a lot of time, if I, when I'm not working directly with clients, I spend a lot of time, um, kind of in my own thoughts, in my own head. And so it's really important to kind of take a step back and reflect on, you know, am, am, am I still on the, on the path that I wanted to be on? And so lately I've, I've been reflecting on what my core values are as a business. Mm -hmm. um, and I've recently kind of refreshed them. They're not even on the website yet, so I need to do that. But my, my three values are own your walk, feed your passion, and grow on purpose. 
Well, the grow on purpose one is obvious because you you led with that in your introduction of me. The own your walk obviously came from this this interaction I had with a corporate leader who told me to tone down mine. Um, and I think you know individuals and organizations need to truly own who they are and why they're here and what they are you know on this earth to accomplish individually and organization. So own your walk is deeply important to me. And then the feed your passion. You asked me, uh, one of your questions was, was around how did I, how did I, you know, kind of unlock that passion, pursue that passion. If you don't get up every day energized by what you are about to do, who you're about to serve, and why all that matters, you may want to reevaluate how you're spending your your day, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I I would love a world where everyone literally giggles because they get to do the things that they do, right? Like that, that would be a wonderful thing. Um, and that shouldn't be reserved for just children who get tickled like this. This should be like, you know, adults should get to, you know, metaphorically play with crayons and, and do things that make them so happy that they giggle and go, I can't believe I get paid for this. Wouldn't that be beautiful? Uh -huh. um, right? And then obviously the, the, the grow on purpose, that sort of anchor value um, is around. And it's, and it's one of the things that I want to be more intentional about reminding myself every day is to is to do everything with a purpose to mm -hmm. be intentional about the decisions i make um the, the gifts i share with the world the clients that i serve at the deepest level i possibly can um so it was probably a longer answer than you were you were going for but i but i would leave your audience with with that really deeply reflect on what you value mm -hmm. and you know what your walk could be and you know, if if you want to unpack that ever, um, I'm sure you will put in your show notes how to track me down. I would love to talk to you about it. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and with that, you know, own your walk, feed your passion, and grow on purpose. Uh, I'd like to thank you, Claire, for such an engaging interview. Your insights will certainly support our audience with all these three things, owning your walk, feeding your passion, and growing your purpose. So before we go, can you share with uh, our audience exactly how they can connect with you? Certainly. Um, so LinkedIn, they can find me there. That is the social media that I spend the most time on. Mm -hmm. uh, and then my website, is, I actually have two. So my business website is talentboost.net. And then my uh, sort of personal brand um, is clairechandler.net. All right. So thank you once again. This has been Yvette Bethel and Claire Chandler. And we would like to thank you for taking time to join us on Evolve, Reinventing Leadership, Building Freedom Cultures. Thank you for listening to Evolve, Reinventing Leadership, Building Freedom Cultures. Learn more about our proprietary trust, leadership, and culture courses and certifications at the IFB Academy. You can check them out at organizationalsoul.learnworlds.com.